Have a seat and uh, be turning your Bibles over to John 12. We had a great time last night with the uh, father-daughter dance. Did you guys have a good time? Who was there? Raise your hand if you were there. That was awesome. And uh, it was cool. There was a few moms there helping out and they kept crying because it was so cute. But uh, it, was, it was great. Last year we did a picnic. And uh, we'd done a father-daughter dance a year or two before, and when we went, the, the picnic was fun, but my, my daughter, when we arrived, she was like, oh, I thought it was going to be a dance. And uh, the picnic was cool, but, you know, you, you guys were a little competitive, so the picnic, we had, like, the three-legged race, and you'd have a dad with a kid this tall, like, dragging the kid. <laughs> the kid is screaming and crying, and the dad's like, oh, we got to win this, you know? So the dance was a little more girly. But uh, there were some dads making fools of themselves, for sure, myself included. We had a uh, dorky daddy dance contest, and it came down to the finalists were, were myself and, and Darren Cantus. So we had a dance-off. There might be video footage that exists somewhere of that. It was, I'd love to see that if it's out there. But uh, <clears throat> Anyway, I uh, hope you're having a great week. I don't know if you know this, but it was Earth Week this week. If you've got kids, you probably uh, knew that because your kids come home with all kinds of stuff from school about saving the earth and everything, which is great. And, uh, you know, God did a pretty good job with this earth, didn't He? I like planet earth. Uh, you might not be totally satisfied with your particular corner of the planet, but uh, it is a pretty great place. But, uh, you know, we've all had non-ideal living situations at times. Uh, when I was uh, engaged to be married, my wife and I, uh, 19 years ago, we got engaged and we uh, decided that we were going to move here to L.A. Right in the middle of our engagement, we decided we were going to move here to help uh, build the church here. There was a lot of needs. The church was new, only a, a year or so old. and um, uh, Actually, it was a couple years old. But anyway, we decided to move here to help out. And uh, so we moved here like three months before we got married. And so I was kind of staying with in the brother's apartment and Dessa was staying in the sister's apartment while we tried to, got, tried to get jobs. And so, you know, it's kind of one of those situations where you, you add another person in. And uh, there was already like seven brothers in this house that I was in. And uh, I was sleeping on the couch every night. And I found a job, which was great. But uh, I was a room service waiter and I had to be at work at six in the morning. And uh, there was this other brother who was living there that uh, he didn't uphold all the standards of discipleship. Like he didn't have a job and he would sit in his jammies and watch cartoons all day long and uh, you know, he was taking like two classes at school and, you know, and, uh, and he'd be talking in this, in the, in the living room where I'm trying to sleep at like one in the morning, you know, 12 o'clock at night, talking on the phone about nothing. Hey, what's up? Yeah, whatever to, to people. I'm like, oh, this is not the ideal living situation right here. But I wasn't that upset about it because I knew I was getting married in three months. You know, and so it's like, oh, that's all right, it's just going to make it that much more sweeter. And I was really looking forward to the wedding. I was doing 100 push-ups every day and trying to prepare myself. And But uh, but anyway, we, we all have situations in life that are not ideal. And, and a lot of times we have that feeling of, oh, if I just get past this, then. You know, if I just get this done or if you just get past this issue, then things will be... Good. Maybe it's your health or your spiritual situation or your financial situation or your family situation. But we have those situations in life where it's not ideal. And, and we kind of, we yearn for stability. We want to arrive somewhere. We want to uh, kind of look around and say, this is it, the end of the fairy tale. And they lived 
happily ever after, you know, which that doesn't really happen in real life, does it? Uh, and, you know, Jesus had something to say about that. We're going to look at at, at today. We're, we're uh, As Martin said, we're doing a series called He Said This Would Happen, a series on the promises of Jesus, what he promised would come true. And today's lesson is there will be a final payout. Uh, this was uh, Marco's idea. Uh, the title was Marco's idea from John 14 about, about, about like, and, and Jesus' promises about heaven and judgment to come. And, and uh, I was talking with Tim Priestley planning the, the music for the West Side service. And he sent me a text saying, oh, what is this Sunday? There will be a final payout. Is that a, all about hell? I don't, I'm trying to pick songs on hell and I can't, can't really find too many. It's like, no, there's a positive side of, 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 of the final judgment. There will be a final payout. In other words, it's going to be worth it. That we're, we're on our way somewhere. Life here is not supposed to fill you up. You aren't supposed to ever really arrive here because we're on our way somewhere. And he talked about an eternal perspective a lot. In John 12, verse 23, if you'd all turn there. Let me turn. Is this thing on now? Okay. John 12, 23. It says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seed. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What did Jesus mean? He's talking about him, his own life, and he's talking about how th- this is the time. He, you know, he's, he's looking at his own life saying, this is the, the reason I came was not just to be a good teacher. It wasn't just to develop these relationships. It wasn't just to live in this area or whatever. I came to do something more. And so I'm like a seed that has got to fall to the ground and die. But when it does, it's going to produce a lot. It's going to produce results. It's going to, uh, it's going to, to uh, become something much, much greater than it is right now. And he says, if you are my followers, you've got to have that same perspective on reality. That life is not about right here and, and right now. And so he says, anyone who's going to follow me, you need to hate your life in this world. He says, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, I don't think he meant that he wanted his followers just to be down on life and just kind of miserable and, oh, I hate my life. Would you like to come to church with me? <laughs> you know, I, I, that's not who Jesus was. Jesus was joyful. He, 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 he drew people to him by, by just the way he was, but... I think he was talking about a perspective. I think he was talking about a matter of priority. I think he was talking about a matter of focus, a matter of of what really has value. You know, in the story I told a minute ago, why was I staying on the couch with that that brother talking in my ear late at night when I had to be at work early the next morning? Because I was looking forward to something. You know, I I wasn't unhappy, but, but there was something more that I was looking forward to. This has to do with the choices we make. It has to do with the the priorities we keep. It has to do with the the value that we assign to things. There's a parallel between this world and eternal life. And so, it's hard though. You know, it's hard to think about forever, isn't it? It's hard to think about down the road. You know, investments made now for down the road. It's really hard. I was listening to something, an interview with the the mayor of New York, Mayor Bloomberg, and he was talking about uh, different things. But he was, he was talking about in politics, you cannot plan for 40 years from now. You cannot plan for 50 years from now. You have to put everything in terms of here and now or people will not do anything about it. Because we're just such short-term people. And uh, there was an experiment done 
uh, back in uh, 1972 called Walter Mischel's Marshmallow Experiment. It was an experiment done at, at, at Stanford on d- the idea of deferred gratification. And they had these little kids that were, uh, you know, age, let's see what age were they, I think they were around five-ish, four or five-ish or whatever. So they told the kid, if you, you can have one marshmallow now, or I, I'm going to go away and I'm going to come back. If you wait till I come back, then you can have two. And then they left the kids in the, marshmallow, in, in the room with the marshmallow. And they would cover their eyes with their hands or they would turn around so they couldn't see the tray. Others started kicking the desk or tugging on their pigtails. Some would stroke the marshmallow as if it were a tiny stuffed animal. While others would simply eat the marshmallow as soon as the researchers left. Over 600 children who took part in the experiment, a minority ate the marshmallow immediately. Of those who attempted to delay, only one-third deferred gratification long enough to get the second marshmallow. And uh, there's a, there was a, a, a redo of this experiment, and that was videotaped. I want to show you a little bit of the videotape. Uh, uh, the kids are really cute, so let's watch that for a second. I love the look on that kid's face. Isn't that kind of what life is like sometimes? Like, oh, I know you said this, Jesus, but oh, it's hard. It's hard to wait. We, we want immediate gratification sometimes. Let's look a little, little bit further what Jesus said in the same, same verse, a little farther down. It's verse 44, Jesus shouted to the crowds, if you, don't, if you trusted me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. You know, Jesus is calling on us to trust him. Really, it's a matter of trust. These kids had to trust that that uh, that lady would come back just like she said that she would. They had to trust that she would come back and would actually give them two marshmallows just as she said that she would. And, and that's really what the Christian life is about. That's what faith is about. It's, it's going, okay, I trust you, Jesus. And Jesus says, these words I'm saying, they are from God, the creator of all things. The creator of the universe has sent me, and I'm speaking to him exactly what he wanted me to say. And so it's a matter of whether you choose to trust in these words. He says, I'm here. The purpose Jesus came was to give us life, was to show us a light. He says, I came as a light to the world. And yet so many people don't want that. So many people don't want the truth. They don't want to know the truth. They don't want the light. And yet Jesus says, that's why I'm here. And I didn't even come for the purpose of judgment. However, if you choose to not listen to me, I'm I'm putting it out there. And those very words that I'm speaking will be the judge. You know, how do you you process that? That there will be a judge and that that judge is Jesus' words. Do you really believe that? Do you really live your life that way? That Jesus' promises will be fulfilled. It's amazing how many people believe in God and claim to be even Christians, but don't really know what Jesus said. Or don't really know what He promised. Or don't really even take time to look into what He had to say. It's amazing how many people who uh, even even love Jesus or lift up Jesus or, or worship Jesus, and yet when, when they're faced sometimes with what the Bible actually says will go, well, I don't know. I like kind of my way better, or I like 
my traditions better or, or I feel this way. When I was in college, I was taking a class in American history and uh, the professor said that we were going to have this test on the Civil War. And uh, he gave out a, a study guide with, with all of the, you know, the, the, the chapters from the book that we would be covering, all the, all the material that we'd be covering from the Civil War. And, you know, I'm looking over the study guide, looking over the material, and I'm going, you know, the, the, study, the, the Civil War is pretty depressing. So many people that died, I mean, more, more Americans died in that war than any other war, and, and uh, you know, just horrible bloodshed, and, and, and it's kind of, you know, kind of a miserable time in American history. I like the revolution better. I like the idea of, you know, independence. I like the idea of, of, of becoming our own country. And, and I have a book on the American Revolution, so I'm going to study that instead. I like that better. I like American Revolution better. So I'm going to prepare by studying that. How do you think I did on the exam? Now, that's not a true story. I'm not that dumb. I'm kind of dumb. but <clears throat> And yet, that's sometimes the way people face final judgment. That's the way people face eternal judgment is, okay, well, I know Jesus, Jesus is saying, I came from God. You can trust my words. The very words that I'm speaking to you are the standard. And yet people choose to ignore them. And go, well, I like this better. I feel this way. I mean, it doesn't matter <clears throat> how strongly I love the American Revolution or how much work I put into studying for the wrong thing. Jesus has laid out the standard there, just like in that analogy. And so we've got to choose to make His words our standard. There will be a final payout. It is going to be worth it, the things that He said. And a little bit farther here in John 12, it says in verse 49, I don't speak of my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know His command leads to eternal life. So I say whatever God told me to say. What is the goal? The goal is eternal life. It's, it's good news. It's, it's that there will be a final payout. That it is going to be worth it. That His command leads to life. He will return. Just like those kids are waiting and they're, you know, they're struggling with the marshmallow. Sometimes they're kind of smelling it or, you know, the one girl's just taking one little bit at a time. You know, the, the, as they're waiting for her to return and, and looking forward to that, Jesus, ha- had so many stories about the fact that he would come back, that he would return. And he told a story a lot about like a servant who's, uh, who's waiting for his master to come back and he's trying to keep everything organized in the house and trying to make sure he's on top of everything because he doesn't know exactly what time his master's going to come back. An example here is in, in Luke 12 on the screen. Jesus said, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. And Jesus told the same story in many ways. You know, you must be ready and, 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 and making sure. But why did he leave and where did he go and, and when will he return? And those are things that we don't really fully know. And yet we do know he's coming back. And in his final hours with his, his followers before he was betrayed and before he died on a cross, we have a window into those final hours in John 13, John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17. This passage of scripture we're, we're, we're going to look at here. And uh, this is what's known as the Last Supper. It was the, they were celebrating the Passover together, uh, which was a, a holiday that, that the Jews still celebrate to this day, and they would take a meal together. So they're having this meal together, and, and, and there's several things that happen. Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and he says, I'm leaving, and you've got to love each other in this way. You've got to deny yourself and, and, and give to each other, put each other's needs above my, 
above your own. And, and, and he, he tells them he's going away. And at the end of John 13, they get, they get upset. And they're like, why? What, where are you going? We've given up, Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. Kind of like I put all this hope into you and now you're leaving? And, and Jesus says in, in John 14, verse 1, if you turn there, in response to this, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Again, there's that issue of trust. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Don't let your hearts be troubled. We can do this sometimes. In this life, we can really let our hearts be troubled. Ask yourself, is there anything troubling my heart right now? Am I, am I letting things... Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. That is it. We have the ability to let that happen. Or to not let that happen. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. The, the, the alternative is to choose to trust God. He says, trust in God. Trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. It's an issue of trust. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, would, would, would God himself look at your life and go, this is a person who trusts in me. This is a person who is waiting for Jesus to return. This is a person who's, who's basing their life on that, that he believes or she believes that. It's clear this person trusts in me. That's really the definition of faith. That's what it means to live by faith. That we are sure of what we hope for. It means we don't have it yet. Certain of what we do not see, that means it's not here yet. We're looking forward, we're hoping, we're trusting, and we're putting our, 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 basing our life on that belief and on that trust. Now, there's something about this passage that, that's really cool. When I first learned this, it really opened my eyes to this, this in, a, in a new way. And that is that Jesus is, is using wedding language here. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, there's a picture in, in our mind of, in American culture or whatever, of, of a wedding and all that kind of surrounds a wedding, right? There's the, the, the bridesmaids and there's the groomsmen and there's the music and there's the, the first dance and there's the first kiss and there's all these kind of traditions that we are really familiar with because we've probably all been to several weddings before. And in the first century, there was, there was, they had their own traditions and, and their own things that surrounded wedding, weddings and he's using some wedding language here. And, uh, it makes this this a little more more deeper, more richer if you if you understand that this idea that he's going away and coming back. It's really rich and beautiful context. And there's several places in the in, in the Bible where where God uses this kind of language. Uh, many many of them. I'm just going to read a couple in, uh, on the screen here. Isaiah 62 verse five says, "As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you." And John the Baptist, who came, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though he's in the New Testament. He was an Old Testament type prophet. And he was the last one to prepare the way for Jesus. And, and this is the way he, he saw himself in verse 29 of John 3. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He saw himself as the best man who's waiting for the bridegroom. To come now, the way things worked in the first century is a uh, an engagement was just as binding as a wedding is for us. 
whereas for us, an engagement is you're not kind of, you're not quite there yet to the total commitment stage, right? But in the first century, when you're engaged, that means you're pledged to be married. You are, you are totally, uh, committed. It's a covenant relationship in every way except the physical relationship, the sexual relationship. But, but besides that, you're totally, uh, committed to each other. That's why, you know, in the story of Joseph and Mary, you know, when, she, when it's found that she's pregnant, it says he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You remember that verse? Because they were engaged, and so it was a binding relationship. And so he could have had her stoned because here she is pregnant, and, and he's in, she's engaged to him. And yet he he was he wanted to be merciful, so he was going to divorce her quietly before the angel came and appeared to him. So so the, the, they would go enter into an engaged relationship. Then during this time, what would happen is the groom would go away to get a place ready for their new family. And he would go away and prepare a place. And so he would go away and sometimes he would be building a house. Sometimes he would be adding a room. A lot of times he would be adding a room onto his father's house. And so this idea of, in my father's house there are many rooms, that's wedding language. He's going away to get a place ready. And then he's going to come back and take the waiting bride with him. Isn't that cool? And the groom's arrival, when, when he comes back, it was usually a surprise. That's why uh, John the Baptist there says, when he's waiting and listening for his voice, and he hears the groom come back, and he's like, woo, he's back! Because what would happen when the groom comes back, there would be this huge celebration. And everyone in the community would, would be like, the groom's here, the groom's here, the groom's here, and everybody would be excited about it, because everybody was, was involved in each other's lives, you know, and they're all waiting for the groom to come back. And he comes back, and everybody would have a big, like, spontaneous party. And they would have a, a parade that, that would go uh, all the way to that place that the groom had prepared. And so they would all be parading there, and then the bride and groom would go into their, their place, and they would be married. And everybody would be outside, kind of, whoo, they're married now, you know? That was the way they did it back then. And so that, that, that puts a lot more, uh, puts a, a fuller picture into this, uh, that what Jesus is telling them there in, in the Last Supper. There's a few other things that are not necessarily in this passage, but like I, like I said, in a first century listener's uh, mind, when they heard this wedding language, it would bring to mind this whole traditional kind of scene. And so there's a few other parallels that, while they're not, uh, they're not uh, really blatant in here, I think they're kind of cool, and they, they, they just made me think about the relationship that we have with God and, and waiting for Jesus to return. So I'm just going to go through a few of those. For example, there's the marriage covenant and bride price. What what would happen is the the groom would give the father's money, the father a large sum of money, the father of the bride a large sum of money, kind of to, as a payback for raising his daughter. And uh, Jesus said that very night, "This is my body, which is given for you." And you think about the price Jesus paid for us that He gave His very body, He purchased us with His His very body. The cup. The bride would drink the cup in the presence of the family as a, as a binding relationship. So like the, the groom would drink, this is when they got engaged. The groom would drink this cup and then the bride would drink the cup. And, and now they're, now they're engaged. Now it's, it's sealed. And you know, Jesus, that very night as well, he, he gave them the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Remember that? Do this in remembrance of me. So for those of us who are followers of, Je- of Jesus, you know, it, it puts more uh, of a full relate, uh, full uh, vision of that drinking the cup, that we are in this binding relationship with Jesus. We're engaged to Him. And we're waiting for Him to return. That commitment that we've made. 
Another one, the gifts for the bride. Uh, the, the groom would often give the bride a gift to hang on to, to remember him as he was away preparing a place. So a lot of times it might be a necklace that the, the bride would wear. And, you know, as she would, would uh, feel the necklace on her neck, she would be reminded, okay, my groom is coming back. He's coming back for me. And the Bible says that God has given us, Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Peter said, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is in us. It's a gift. And he reminds us Jesus is coming back if we listen to him and if we live our lives looking forward and walking by the Spirit. There's something called the mikvah. What the mikvah was was a, a, a ceremonial bath that the bride would take. It was still, it's still done today by the Orthodox. And there's a parallel to baptism that when we're baptized, we're, our sins are washed away. That we're, we're, and, and we're now cleansed and we're holy and we're, we're set apart and we're waiting. Uh, in John, in uh, uh, Acts 2, Peter, Peter describes this, that, that, that as we're waiting for Jesus, we're, we're to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you're visiting with us, there's a lot of mis, mis, uh, information out there about baptism. There's a lot of confusion about baptism. And I just encourage you to, uh, Open the Bible. You can even just do a word search on baptism, and 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 it's amazing what you see. And and those of us in the church, we in our church, we 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 really uh, try to try are trying to go by the Bible when it comes to baptism. And so we would love to even sit down and show you what we've come to see the Bible say about baptism. And I encourage you to to look into that a little more, especially if you have not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Find out more about it. Uh, the last thing: the waiting bride consecrated. You know, the bride was considered set apart. She was holy. She was, she was preparing. She was waiting for the groom to come back. Even if it was a year or it was two years, she was set apart and waiting. And that's who we are as, as the bride of Christ. That's who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. That we are not here. It's like we're, we're the, uh, the, the person sleeping on the couch, you know, in, in not ideal situation, waiting for that day. Even, even the end of the Bible, the, the, the book of Revelation, John closes out with this image of a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That's us, that's the church, refined, purified, beautiful, dressed in white. Jesus is the groom with that look on his face as the bride walks down the aisle. Don't you love that part of the wedding? You know, we all turn around and look at the back and we see the bride and then we turn around and look at the front and we see the groom's face as it lights up. That's how Jesus feels about us, the church. That's what heaven is going to be. And so everything we do should be about anticipation. It should be about an expectant preparation for the return of Christ. That means we don't put down roots in this place. That means that we're not trying to get fulfillment from here and now, but we're preparing for the next life. Uh, Sean Wooten told a story of uh, riding on a plane. He says, this one time I, I took a flight and and uh, I wanted to make myself comfortable, so I, uh, I, I took my bag and I unpacked everything. And I, I took out my, my pants and I, I found a good spot for them over here. And I found a good spot for my shirt over here. And I went in the bathroom and kind of took out all my toiletries and, and uh, you know, kind of unpacked everything and made myself at home. And I was ready. You know, he said, that's ridiculous. We would never look at a flight that way because it's just a temporary thing. We're just going from one place to the next. And that's what... This life is like we're on a journey. We're on a plane on our way somewhere. It was cool to see uh, Justin Shump get baptized last Sunday. Amen? It was awesome. And uh, 
his dad shared, his dad said, you know, I love planes and my dad loved planes and you're getting on the flight right now. And you're on your way. You know, this is not our final destination. We are on our way somewhere. I want to show you a, a video where uh, the kids come back. Where uh, Just a little end of the video, I mean, where the lady comes back. This is the, the blonde kid, you know, that we ended on his face. I love that kid. Uh, we'll just see the look on his face when he comes back, when she comes back. It's awesome. It's awesome. You know, heaven heaven is going to be so worth it. I mean, that kid is like, at that point, it's like, yes, double marshmallows in my mouth at the same time. And that's what heaven's going to be. It's going to be so worth it. And, and yet, I know for, for myself, I can sometimes be so caught up in this world. And, and, and so, you know, I can let my heart be troubled. You know, Jesus, don't let your hearts be troubled, and yet I can let my heart be troubled. Just by worries of this life, by things going on, kids and, and, and all that goes on with kids and how they're doing and their ups and downs and, and uh, you know, just issues of life. We're, we're planning for this huge conference uh, in, in the, the summer, and I'm in charge of all the music for that. And, and uh, there's so many people that, that want to do stuff there and, you know, just trying to keep it all organized and that. It's going to be so awesome and people are going to be spending so much money and flying from so far away and just want it to be so awesome. And I just feel all this pressure, you know, that we have to have enough of this kind of music and that kind of music and enough acapella and enough gospel and enough this and enough that. And, you know, everybody, I've got to please everybody. You know what I mean? So it's like I can be worried by all that, anxious by all that. And you probably have something like that in your life that, you know, if you just stop, it just burdens you. And yet Jesus said, don't. Let your hearts be troubled. In another place, he tells the story of the soil that gets choked. The, the, the plants grow up in the soil, and it's the thorny soil. You know that story? Choked by the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. You know, life is full of trouble. Life is full of all kinds of things that can choke us if we don't keep our focus on the eternal. And uh, I, sometimes I can feel like, wow, I just, I'm so busy. I just don't have time to do all the eternal things that I need to do. You ever feel like that? I mean, life is just so busy. But here's the thing. Having a spiritual mindset, having a spiritual focus, having an eternal life focus, because eternal life is not just something that begins then. You know, Jesus says you have eternal life now. It starts now. And so we're supposed to live the way of Jesus now. We're supposed to live with an eternal perspective starting now. And it doesn't have to take a lot of time. It's just a matter of focus and, and what we're looking at, you know, and, and what we're, where we're putting our priorities. Uh, last, last week, we were doing this uh, series in our home. Some of the other married groups are doing this on, on parenting. And so we wanted to, to invite people in the neighborhood. And so we had this plan. I, I had this plan together of people to come over to our house uh, last Wednesday. And uh, everybody get there at 645, and then we'll go out and we'll, we'll invite people in our neighborhood and we'll, we'll invite till about 7.30, then we'll come back, we'll have a family devotion for the kids. I had this plan, right? And uh, But it wasn't working out okay. People were stuck here and stuck there at work, and one of the brothers who's a coach uh, for, a, for a baseball team had this crisis come up with a couple of the parents and had to deal with that. And so, you know, we were just getting, it was getting later and later pretty soon at 7.30, and, and people are, are there. We've, we've, we've filled out all these cards, but it's kind of like, it's going to be dark soon. What do we do? I tell Dessa, I don't know, I had this plan, now what do we do? Should we just not do it? Should we go out? She's like, oh, let's just go out for a while. I'm like, okay, let's just go out for a while. So we had these maps of our neighborhood, and we kind of circled different spots that we would go to. And uh, so I, I said, okay, we'll go to this 
a block over and this side of that street, you know, we'll go there. So we walk over there. It's starting to get dark, but we're like, okay, we see a light on in a house. Let's go to that house. And so we, we ring the doorbell. And this lady comes to the door and we recognize her and we realize this is a, a woman that we've seen many, many times walking her dog. And in fact, her husband is a coach where my son does gymnastics. He's a women's coach, but we've seen him before. And we've, we've, we've been meaning to reach out to this couple and that's the one door we happen to go to. And, and she opens the door and, and, and we, she's like, oh, hey. In fact, she even gave Dessa a hug, you know, and, and so she's, we're telling her about the parenting, and she's like, I will be there. I would love to come. I will be there. And it made me think, wow, that doesn't take long at all. Is the very first house we went to, it's just a matter of just getting out there and doing something. You know, and so then, then we're, we're, we're thinking about her coming this week, and, and, uh, we went out again this week, and, and again, happened to be on her street doing another spot. Cora and I were out with with our dog, and she pulled up. She was like, oh, I'm so glad I saw you because my husband threw the invitation away, and I didn't know what your address was. And so I gave her another card, and then she was there on, on uh, she was there last Friday night for our first uh, uh, kind of starting thing or whatever. But, but you know, it, a lot of times it's just one conversation. If you think about the person who reached out to you, it wasn't this huge thing probably, or it wasn't this... Uh, their articulate knowledge of the Bible. It was just God working at that point in time because they were, they opened their mouth or they were spiritually aware. And so living with an eternal perspective doesn't have to take a lot of time. It's just a matter of focus and a matter of, of, of thinking about life in terms of what is to come. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 4.17, Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. You know, where, where are you with, the, with this stuff today? I mean, as, as, you, as you listen to Jesus' words, are you, uh, are you a Christian who's, who's been around a long time and, and you know the truth, but you kind of have gotten choked by the word? I mean, choked by the world? I really encourage you to, to, to get, get un, free yourself. The Bible says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Throw off everything that hinders. Get, get freed up spiritually. Spend the time you need to with God every day. Spend the time you need to in His Word. You never outgrow your need for the Word. And get yourself, get yourself freed up. Get your focus on heaven. Paul says, set your mind on things above. Set your hearts on things above. Maybe you're a younger Christian and, and you're feeling that pull from the world. You know, the, the older Christians, a lot of times, Satan tries to attack them in different ways. He knows maybe they're not going to fall away completely right away, so he tries to get you choked and, and bitter and, 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 and you know, ungrateful. The younger Christians, a lot of times, suddenly an old girlfriend shows up, or suddenly the old party friends show up, or this or that. You know, he's, he's like, I want him back. I want that person back. Maybe you're a younger Christian and you see those temptations or you're, you're, you're facing those trials. I just want to remind you, heaven is worth it. You know, you can be like that kid sometime with the marshmallow trying to, trying to stay righteous. And, I, and I, every sacrifice you make is worth it. I really appreciate the, the singles in our ministry. That they are choosing to trust in God. They're choosing to, to, to look at relationships, look at dating and purity in a way that no one in the world looks at. Because they trust Jesus' words. And they're waiting. They're trusting God's way is going to work. I appreciate the teens in our, in our ministry. that They, they, they are, are facing life with a perspective that, that the world does not have. And they face jeering, they face persecution, you know. But they're willing to do it because they know that our, our 
troubles are small and won't last very long. Maybe you're a, a, a bit visitor with us and, and you're kind of new to the teachings of Jesus. I really encourage you to get the Bible open with somebody and, and, and find out what, what it really has to say. We, we talk a lot about studying the Bible. If you hear us talk about that in this church, we talk about, hey, let's get together, let's study the Bible. What we mean is not like study for a test or memorize it or whatever. It's just you open the Bible at Starbucks usually and you read a couple verses and you go, what do you think that means? Well, here's what I think it means and you talk about your life. But it's amazing how transformative that is. And I encourage you to do that. There will be a final payout. God sees the sacrifices you make. God knows the difficulties you face. Jesus says, I know you'll have trouble in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You cannot outgive God. Every sacrifice you make, every hardship, every struggle where our faith is tested will prove worth it in the end. As we're going to take communion here, and as we take communion... Uh, let's remember that we're looking forward to Jesus' return. He's the groom and we're the bride. And in 1 Corinthians 11:26, it says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Communion is a time of looking inward as we look at ourselves and, and, and our relationship with God. It's a time of, of, of looking backward, remembering Jesus and what He did for us. But it's also a time of looking forward. It says we are proclaiming His death until He comes. He is coming back. And we are the bride of Christ waiting forward, waiting and looking forward to His return. Keeping ourselves pure and set apart. Living lives of expectant preparation. Let's pray for the communion. God, thank You that Jesus is the way, that He is the truth, that He is the life. Thank You that we can have a standard to cling to. In this world that says so many different things and, and uh, standards are always changing, God, thank You that we have Jesus' words from You directly that we can cling to. and they, Those can be a rock in times of trouble. Thank You that You are going to come back and take us to be with You where You are now. Father, help us to live lives that, that we trust that, we believe that, and we're waiting for that return. I know heaven is going to be so, so worth it. God, thank You for this time to... Proclaim your death until you come. Thank you that we could take the bread, which is your body, and the fruit of the vine, which is your blood, and remember the price that was paid for our forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.